Yeah, and that's called ratchet dilution. So those keep on ratcheting it down. So <clears throat> there, there's clauses in all these different contracts that they will sit there and say guarantees that you're going to make X amount of money. There also is a guarantee that they'll do in the contract saying what what you you agree to, and if you give somebody else a better deal, we'll adjust your dilution amount and make it bigger so that you never lose. And those are clauses that they put inside the companies. And then it just becomes a downward spiral for the retail investor because all they're going to do is going to dilute it all. And the caveat for all that is they put into these filings saying, warning, you're going to be diluted on. And then they can get away with that type of stuff. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast. A podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Welcome to the Steady Trade Podcast with me, your host, Stephen, and, and Kim and Curtin, co-hosted. Today, we've got a pretty cool, pretty special guest. Uh, we've got Christopher Morales. Morales, am I saying that right? AKA more well-known in the, in the world of restauranteering and, uh, and trading as Tango Baker. How's it going? Good, man. I'm doing good. I've uh, been enjoying my day today, kind of getting ready for the interview. No trading for me this morning. Uh, just, com- just kind of completed up a uh, uh, a forced out short. So it wasn't too bad of a little pain, but, you know, stuff like that happens. This is CHK that you were talking about, right? Yeah, CHK. Uh, just got caught was- in it. What was the strategy? What was the strategy with that? We're going to go through everything, but what was your strategy with that? Because I looked at it and that shit was way, way down and you were long. No, no, you were short and it was already way, way down. And I'm like, dude, but we'll get into the fundamentals, right? But what's your, what's your thesis on that? So the, uh, that was the third time I shorted it. Um, already made quite a bit of money off of it. And, um, you know, it's got the, the, the best of me got caught on that. Um, saw the market gap down and figured it was going to take another day down. Just got caught. So, you know, it happens. Nah, you can't, you can't be too aggressive on the short side in this market, eh? You, you yeah. cannot be. <laughs> but, uh, so what, where does Tango Bega come from? Because when I found out your name was Chris, I was shocked. I was like, what? I actually thought your real name was Tango. I thought you had parents who were creative with the naming process. Yeah. So, um, my father owns a bakery. He started in like 1972. Uh, my mother um, is a belly dancer. That's how she made money. Um, okay. I never actually knew my parents as being together. I was, they were always separated in, from what I understood in my world type of thing. And so my mom made her income through teaching belly dance. And uh, one day she uh, said, hey, I want to pick up a new style of dance. It's called Tango. I know you're not doing anything on Friday nights, so you're my new dance partner. So <laughs> when I was like, awesome. How uh, cool is that? So wait, you're telling me you're a man who can dance? Yeah, I've actually been a professional dancer, which which is defined in my world as you actually get paid to dance. Yeah. So I've done performances. I've toured. Um, I've traveled the world. Uh, I spent a lot of time down in Argentina just studying tango. 
Wow. Masters down there. They're the kings. The, the people there are the kings of tango. I, I've yeah. taken lessons with some Argentinian men, and I can tell you they are, like, unbelievably great. That is so it, cool. It's amazing. You know, the biggest thing about tango is this, is a, it's a dance that you never get to master. You're always working on it to like the day you die. Just like treating, just like yeah. treating. So just I like- bet you that, did you, do you find that that like informs like what you learned in tango informs that dancing with the markets? Yeah. It, you know, the biggest thing is this, is the studying part portion of it and the frustrations of trying to get to this different level of dancing. Um, you know, it's the, it's the long, hard hours of dancing. Your body hurts. You feel frustrated and then you just go and grind it out again the next day and the next day and the next day until a point where you actually are good. Wow. <laughs> and you're like, Oh wow. I finally kind of made it. And you know, in with, with dancing is you, you take these classes, you spend a ton of money to take private lessons, to take classes. Yes. And then, uh, then you go out and dance socially at night and you screw up. And sometimes you can get embarrassed with dancing with a woman and she gets pissed off at you because you did something wrong, whatever it is. Totally. And then you just gotta, gotta like bear with all that and just, you know, take your lumps as it comes along. And so that, I, that's that whole process. Cause I started dancing in when I was 18 and I didn't become a master of the dance until I was about 35. Wow. Uh, so huh. that's a very long process. A lot of dancing, there's hundreds of hours with it and talking about thousands of dollars in private lessons and classes over the years. It's, it's a very difficult dance. Wow. And but, do you find, did you find that, that, uh, did you, did you realize at the time that that was a discipline that was going to inform your whole life, not just trading? Like, did you realize how intense it was early on? 18, you're pretty young. So, you know, being young and uh, kind of not uh, understanding the whole concept, just trying to understand what you see on like dance videos. You're like, I want to be able to be that type mm-hmm. of dancer. I want to be able to do those types of moves. And, you know, as, as you go down the rabbit hole of trying to get that journey in place, it's um, down the road, you finally go, well, damn. it took a really long time I taught dance for about five years too um and so it's you know just being able to try to teach the dance and frame what's inside your mind to your students takes quite a bit and trying to get um men and women to truly understand the 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 roles of what a what a woman is the roles of what a man is and how they have to have a conversation the the thing about tango dancing is there's no, it's not like a like a country two step or uh, the waltz or anything. The thing about tango, it's an act of communication between two different people. And you you lead a move, the lady follows it. The lady does something, you follow her, and it's just this active thing happening. So every single dance is improv. Yes. There's no yes, no uh, like you can't get back to it. It's, it's every improv, every dance is unique and. And depending on your dance, sometimes the whole room just melts away. It's just you and her. And sometimes the whole room is just crowded and you just can't get away from that person. (laughs) Absolutely. And I, and I, and Steve and I, I know you have questions, but I, I just have to tell you this, the Argentinian dancer that I took my first lesson with, he told me American women 
are the worst students because we don't know how to follow. We always want to lead. And my entire lesson was learning how to surrender and not take control. And, you know, of course he was in New York City, so we were all American women, but that was our biggest stumbling block was allowing him to lead the dance. Uh, so it was, it was a, quite a lesson in my ability to completely surrender. So. It's a very difficult thing to be able to learn how to surrender that way. It, yeah. As a leader, originally in the 1920s, um, when you became a leader, you were never allowed to dance with a woman, ever. Wow. You had to dance with another man. And so wow. you had to learn the two roles of leader and follower. And then you had to get to a certain level before you actually could go out and you could actually ask a woman to dance. Wow. And so through my time of learning to become dancers, I also had to learn how to follow and how to, to just kind of release that and just be in that moment. So there's a lot of things that go along with the brain and, and be able to understand that type of thing. But there's also a peacefulness and to be able to surrender and to be able to do follow somebody who's, who's being the leader on it. So. For sure. For sure. It, it was a beautiful lesson for me just because of the culture differences, you know, American women, we do have a different cultural upbringing and you can, you can see that that can get that. I think it can get in our way sometimes. And it certainly can get in your way if you want to be a good tango dancer. So yeah. anyway, but I imagine how, how do you apply that towards the markets? I mean, in a way going into the market is a bit of a surrender. It is. It's a, it's a surrender of being in the control uh, of it. I mean, the only thing that you can do in the markets itself is you can set up a plan you can set up an idea, you can set up a thesis, but when it's wrong, you have to surrender to the fact that it's wrong and that you're wrong. Your whole thesis was wrong. So if you can't be able to come to terms with that, that's where you're going to have like a lot of troubles inside the market itself. And so, yeah, you have certain aspects that you can control, um, but there are certain aspects you can't control. And at that moment in time, that's where you have to be able to let go. You know, and it's kind of like it goes along with my loss of scorning CHK. Um, I got the call in yesterday saying, Hey, we're going to liquidate your account. If we can't find borrows, you know, you have to be okay with that moment in time. You know, sometimes things happen where you do get upside down and you do hold it uh, for a little bit longer periods because your thesis is pretty much right. And literally I got closed out 15 minutes till market opens and then the market opens and the tank totally stops, uh, just dropped. And I've been like, totally fine. But you know, you have to be okay with that. The market's unforgiven. Yeah, something something uh, just crossed my mind. Which which I know that we've we've uh, we've had the conversations over Instagram that we've had with Biaz together over in different countries, but on Instagram, <laughs> and we we it was really prominent that we both identified as traders and we identified the beauty of the of the game of trading. But I'm just thinking. I mean, you you've been a master of tango. You, you've, you've mastered the fundamentals of trading and you've applied it to, to real life trading, which we'll get into. But you've also mastered the restaurant business and, and, and we'll get into that. But, but what is prominent for me is I think back to Roland Ball, but it was like the master of fucking Taekwondo or whatever he was doing. He mastered football. And then, and I, I start to think, is our identity as traders or are we, is our identity just extraordinarily driven people at whatever the craft is that would pursue. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where it comes down to like passion. You know, the, the passion of something that you take on is something that you feel hungry for. I mean, 
Anybody who wants to read SEC filings is out of their damn mind. (laughs) 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 You know, just to be able to to wrap your mind around the the, uh, legal language to be able to understand what they're trying to do and trying to unravel all that and put that into layman's terms for anybody. But you have to have passion about whatever you're going to do and whatever projects you're going to be able to take on. But having that passion, that is what allows you to have these amazing achievements. You know, like some of the stuff that I've done with my bakery, I've been on the Food Network um, three times already. I've been in the Food Network, the magazine, probably about four times, been in the New York Times. Um, you know, it, you know the, uh, when I first started coming back to the bakery, because I grew up in the business, I grew up in the business and then you know you rebel and then when you realize what your parents get you come back to it my dad had such amazing recipes and ingredients but we had no business and literally when i came back to it the bakery was closed so Um, when you where are you located tanko albuquerque new mexico wow okay and that's where your dad's bakery was yeah yeah. okay so you came back and it was closed yeah we it was closed you know there's a we supply 35 restaurants and four hotels. That's how I grew up was icing Danish and making donuts and making large volumes of dinner rolls. I mean, we would like delivered like 300 dozen dinner rolls to wow. the, the zoo that's in our town for events that they have like weddings and stuff. So, you know, hard work and long hours is something that, that I grew up doing, you know, between that and going to high school and stuff. But what you, the, when we switched over we got rid of all the wholesale. And so when I, when I came back to it, I was young, very young. Um, I had different experiences. I did work for a couple other companies, but when you go into it and you realize what your parents have with fresh eyes, you're like, damn, like they did some really good stuff. I need to be able to market that. So one of the first things I did was I contacted the food network. And within about a, three months later, the television show called food finds contacted us and said, Hey, we got your email, send us some, um, samples. So what do we do? We send us samples overnight. The very day that they received the samples, they called us up and said, we're going to do an episode about you. We'll be out there in March. This is Oh like my God. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like what the, what we were doing about $50 a day. And that's a really hard life when you're making $50 a day. Like, like I would go home and my, my power was cut off because I didn't have enough money to pay my electrical bill. So I had to go to my next door neighbor and say, Hey, can I borrow, borrow your power. So I'd run an extension cord over to my house just to have to in my bedroom. You know? Shit. Those are like the those are the like really the hard times. Like you're you're one, you're putting on, hey, we're a successful company, we make really good products and all type of stuff, but in the background, you're you're struggling. You can barely you know, thank God we had a bakery. I didn't have to worry about food, but I don't have no heat in my house. Yeah. Right? Because I can't yeah. pay my bills. But the bill I'm gonna pay to be my electrical bill for my business the gas bill for my business. Cause I know those are the type of things that can continue on going through. Yeah, for so sure. it's interesting uh, process when you're being featured on the food network, but you can't pay your bills. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind like, of like a mind twist because, because yeah. on one hand you're looking so successful. And on the other hand, you see behind the scenes at the day to day struggle. Yeah, right. exactly. And, and a lot of, and that's, you know, unless you talk to somebody who's willing to actually express those yeah. issues you, you you see the success you don't see the hard work 
Absolutely. And it's such, and I think that's so, you know, I filmed a couple episodes yesterday just about the emotional intelligence. And that is one, you know, when you compare yourself to somebody else, you don't have all the variables. You, you know, if somebody compared themselves to you at the time, they're like, look at this guy and this company, they're on this food network, but yet they don't see the behind the scenes that you don't have heat for your bedroom. And that's why it's just a, a fool's errand to do that because you're never going to be having a full picture to compare yourself to. Exactly. And, you know, the, it's the hard work that you do day in and day out to get yourself because you always have that light in the, in the tunnel, that type of goal that you're trying to get to. And it's the same thing with stock trading. Like Everybody comes into stock trading with the goal, goal of either making money or becoming rich, becoming a millionaire or, or those type of things. People think about the that's the that's the easy money to that point. But for stock trading, as much as it is about money, it's not about money. Mm-hmm. It's about this, the, the journey of self-enlightenment, uh, the journey of yourself and looking into yourself and facing a lot of your own personal demons. You know, I thought I was a pretty, very stable, mentally solid type of person until I got into trading. You know, when I got into trading, like all kinds of stuff started coming out of my head. Like, I'm Give successful. us an example. Give us yeah. an example. Like, okay, so... Like when you go in, the thing about bakeries is you have a, it's a very repetitive style of work. When I go into my bakery and I'm going to be making dinner rolls, I'm going to be making dinner rolls for the next hour. You know, it's a very motionless type of thing. But when you're. Autopilot. Huh? It's kind of autopilot, right? Yeah, it's autopilot. Oh, total autopilot. You're not, like you go to work, you clock in, you do your job and you know, you, and you, and you, and you sell. And then at the end of the day, clock out, can't check your books. You know, if, if you're in a situation where you have all these hopes and dreams for your restaurant and then in the background, slowly by surely it's being, you're not making any money. then the next thing you know, you're like, I can't make payroll. I can't pay my bills. I can't do this. That's when the emotion starts kicking in. You're like, Oh shit. Like I've been working hard, but I can't pay the bills. Matter of fact, I have to pay my employees first before I can pay, pay me. It's not a heightened experience like the way stock trading is. Like stock trading is like you get into a trade and all of a sudden all your senses are just tingling and you're like, all right, I got to make the money right now. You know, it's the money's on the line. It's not the small drip of losing money over time. It's the heightened of you can lose money right now or you're going to make money right now. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and that provokes a different kind of emotion out of you when you're, when you're trading compared to the day-to-day work of running your own business. Yeah. And you can be like super successful running your business. I mean, there's been so many highs I've gotten being on the on TV shows and having really good sales. I mean, like there's so many times I have dinner service. I'm like, damn, hell yeah, we rocked dinner service. There was no mistakes. We got the food out. Everybody was taken care of. Bah 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 bah. You know that type of stuff. You get powered. You get pumped. Yeah. But it's not the same experience as stock trading in that heightened emotion that goes along with stock trading. Yeah, but but it, it gets less good over time. There's a couple of things I picked up on when you were, when you were talking there. Um, first of all, I know you, the the thought of me, I want to make money right now or I need to make money right now. It's important, but I found that that's where I go wrong when I think like that. I need to think. I need to play the pattern perfectly. And when you and and do you do you still feel the highs of making the money? I know you you'll probably not mind this. You took that seven k on X bar. Uh, that short, that seven k was a. How, how did you feel? How did you feel after taking that? Do you still get that high in that rush? Because 
I know I don't have the same as you, but if I make a thousand or fifteen hundred, I just feel relieved these days. I don't even feel good. <laughs> you know, like, like over time, like you know, you have your big wins and you have your big losses. And you know, the thing about a, a big win like that, and it all defines on like your experience and uh, as stuff is happening. That's not my biggest win I've ever had, um, but when you have a, a win like that, it makes you feel good that. Okay, I had a thesis. The thesis was solid. I I had the patience. I had uh, everything came together and it comes together. And you walk away feeling tall, standing tall. Like when I went back to see, I did that trade, made seven k, and then I go to my bakery and I walk in just a little bit different. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit more proud. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. And and that, and that happens with it. Am, am I like super exuberant? Like when I first started trading? No. It's, it's not the same. And this kind of goes along with like the experience of a hardening your mind. Like, there's a, there's a book that I really like by David Goggins. And it's these experiences that you, you experience over time when you have really great wins or really great losses over time, as you experience it, they'll affect your brain and, and how you interpret those type of things. Over time, you start to realize it's really not that important having a loss or really that not important having the win. Of course you want to have more wins, but over time it's about that process. You know, the day in and day out of you know, pulling up your scans, seeing what's popping, seeing what's not popping. Um, you know, that, that, that whole ritual that you do every single day to look for the next trade. And you know, when you nail it, you nail it. And it's a really, really great feeling. And when you don't, you know, hopefully that your losses are very, very small and you're like, okay, didn't work out. You know, which was a lot different than when I first started. When I first started, when it didn't work out, man, it, was, it hurt. You know, but when did time, you start? When did you start? I started in May 2016. And it's and what was it? What, really? Same time? Same time? Same same time? time? Yeah. Oh, Very, I didn't know I, that. I think I, nah, I might have been June or something like that, but I think we were about the same time, yeah. What What was it that, that caught, you know, caught your attention to co- go into this tango? So um, through the bakery, I get to meet like a lot of unique uh, individuals that come through the bakery. And over time, certain people will say certain words that just don't sound like a normal conversation. There was a gentleman who was a professor from the university who would come to the bakery. And about every two weeks, he would pick up like 25 loaves of bread. Um, He'd give it to his neighbors. He'd have some in the freezer. Him and his wife, they would come to the bakery and he would say stuff like, money is like manure. It's, better, better, uh, it's best spread around. It's kind of stuff like that. Um, and then he had like a whole bunch of little different types of sayings. And I was like, oh, okay. So, I, you know, I get to know him. I was like, what well, were you a professor at the university? He goes, oh, I was a professor at, of, of accounting. Oh, that's pretty neat. And then him and, you know, just, just that whole neighborhood type of thing, you become friends with your customers. And they actually took the step over to become a friend with my grandmother. And my grandfather passed and they said, Hey, Miss Morales, would you like to go on a cruise with us? And she goes, well, I don't have really have the money. And she goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. We cover it all. Wow. You know, it's, it's those type of things. You're like, Hmm. So one day, uh, um, his name was Mr. Eagle. So Mr. Eagle comes to the bakery and he's like, he says something in, in, about, uh, some stocks that he was interested in. And then his wife, Mrs. Eagle comes up and says, don't let him fool you. He's really good at it. What do, you, wow. what do you mean by really good at it? Yeah. So, so she, she explains to me and talk, and over time I find about his portfolio and what he did from when he was a young, 
young man. And interesting enough, he looks like uh, Warren Buffett of wow. resemblance and you know, the way he talks. And so he did average cost investing. When he passed away, he was worth like thirty million dollars. Holy mackerel! Yeah. School teacher salary. That's the thing, the thing to think about. It was a school wow. teacher salary. He wasn't a professor at the university for all his life. He was yeah. a school teacher. Wow. And on school teacher salary, investing on average cost investing with dividend returns and compound interest, that's how he um, uh, built his fortune. And when he, since he was a retired professor, he said, hey, uh, asked him, I was like, I didn't want, I never asked him for money ever, ever once. But what I wanted to know was like knowledge. And so he actually bought the Wall Street Journal for me and he would get his articles and he would sign them, sign put a signature, not signature, but circle them. And then he would mail them to the bakery. And then these are the articles I would read. And then he pulled the wall street journal and showed me how to read the numbers and how to evaluate companies. And then he showed me how to write a regular check to buy your stock. Wow. Nothing digital. None of this was digital. It was all paper. It was writing checks to go buy your stocks and how to start that all up. And when was that? What year was this? Um, see here. So I think I met him in 2007, somewhere in there. Wow. So even though you didn't get into trading till 2016, back in 2007, you're getting some kind of a kind of a entryway into the fact that this exists and that there's another way to make revenue for yourself. It, it wow. is. And to be able to, you know, um, I did it on small terms of the bakery. You know, the, the thing, my focus was, the business only. And so because of that, once, uh, when I saw, uh, Timothy Sykes's a video, I think it was on, I saw it on Facebook and it was the Harvey, Harvey, um, commercial that he was on. I oh yeah. Steve, yeah. Steve, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. There you go. Steve Harvey. Harvey. I don't know how I, I'm not even American. I don't know how I know that. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So seeing the Steve Harvey, you know, you know, with the way with Mr. Eagle did it, it was like he started when he was 16 in investing. So he had time. So I didn't have that kind of time. I invested in, in our business. I invested my time, my energy into the business. So for me to be able to make up lost time, I saw day trading as the possibility to make up for lost time mm-hmm. and to be able to create a portfolio like he did. Did you know that you'd get it? Did you know, did you know when you started that you were going to get it? Did, did you just think, no, I'll never fail at this? Or was it more speculative or I might get it, I might not get it? Um, I was kind of thinking on the long term. So uh, for me, um, I mean, my education, I I was always in special ed. So I've always, I've always had like learning disabilities. And so I knew that for me, I would have to work 10 times harder than anybody else. I knew I have to spend a ton more time on it. I know that if anybody was going to get people could get it faster than me, they, they probably would. Um, so I knew how much more effort I would have to put into it. And so that's kind of what I did. I never thought I would not get it. I figured that over time, at some point, I would get it. Mm. And when do you uh, feel, of course, it's a it's a never-ending process, but when do you feel you kind of made a shift to, I do know what I'm doing. I do have my uh, template. When people started searching me out and asking questions. And when yeah, was that? When, when people start asking advice, yeah. Yeah, so um, I did the uh, Stocks to Trade Pro when I first started. I did two years of it. And Tim Bowen um, took a little bit of notice of 
what um, I was saying and what I was doing. And he wanted to, he wanted to do a one-on-one call with me. He reached out to me. I didn't reach out to him because all, all the students will reach out to the t- teacher. Sure. And so when he asked me, he goes, Hey, Chris, what are you talking about over there? I want to know a little bit more. And so we did a couple one-on-ones with it and he goes, you got something. You need to develop it. You need to go further with it. Beautiful. And before I left the stocks to trade program, I did a couple of interviews. And from the interviews, uh, people, because uh, Tim Bowen would reference the, the stuff I talked about. And then, so because of that, then people started searching me out, looking wow. for like, where did you go? Because I you know there's a, two, there's is a point with stocks of trade pro where um, you get all the information. I was with him for two years. You know, it's a very, and, and with stock trading, it's very repetitive. So when you leave, then there's a time for you have to make a decision. Do I need to put X amount of money into that? Or do I need to go look for more information? And yeah. that's where I yeah. was at. I was like, okay, it's time for me to, get some wings and kind of fly away yeah. and look for more type of information for the questions that you're looking for. Yeah. And what, and what do you do? Uh, what was it that he was curious about? What was it that you were seeing that uh, he found to be unique? So they had to deal with reverse splits um, in the, in the market. There's two types of splits. There's a forward split and there's a reverse split. And I started noticing a pattern with reverse split stocks Um the, the company was SSH, which now is Chefs, um, that really sparked kind of the interest of what goes on with splits and why does a company go along, does a split. Um, and that was kind of like the rabbit hole that I was searching for. Um, so that, so <clears throat> the, the next portion of it, which was very interesting, it, I, it came across of it like a November of 2016. It wasn't, and when you joined Stocks of Trade Pro, uh, Bowen gives you a list of, of Twitter people to follow. And one of those people was Auspex Research. It wasn't until like a year later that I came back because I originally saw it. I looked at it. It was just so much. I was like, yeah, it's too much. It hurts my brain. It's confusing. It's confusing. Yes. Some of the links don't work. And you think, ah, oh, it's not worth the effort. But it is worth the effort. <laughs> yeah, it's totally, it's totally is worth it. <laughs> and so when I reread it, then I was like, wait a second there's more to this than what meets the eye. So I actually literally locked myself in my house about a month and a half. And I just poured over his, his twit longs <clears throat> and slowly by surely, like the proper keyword started popping out and has kept on going down this, this endless rabbit hole. And what the endless rabbit hole finally got me to was SEC requirements, uh, NASDAQ listing requirements, NYSE in this listing requirements, it all comes down to how the whole market is truly governed for really poor performing stocks. If you want to stay listed on the stock market as a company, you have to follow certain rules and regulations. So you as an owner, like for me, like if my bakery and I had, and I knew that I was going to get delisted for whatever reason, I'm going to do whatever I can to stay on the market because I know by staying in the market, that's where I'm going to get my money from. Yeah, totally. Right. But there are certain rules you have to follow. Once you understand that framework, then you understand the under, I call it underlying currents of what's happening in all these stocks. It doesn't matter what industry they're in. They all have to follow the same rules and regulations. And by understanding those rules and regulations, you understand the currents that are controlling the stocks and the games that these guys have to be able to do to be able to make their company grow. Like for my bakery, if I was in trouble like they are, I would do absolutely everything to be able to save my company. Everything. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, 
And they do. And they do. They do. And they do. And what, what, one of the things that you said to me, which really resonated, and there's two things. The first thing is it's not about the what is happening, it's the why. Because if you understand the why of what a company's doing, you'll be able to be one step ahead of everybody else and what they're doing. And the other thing that, that, that stuck with me is the retail traders, us retail traders, we don't realize that we're just pawns to these companies. They're just using us to fulfill their mission. So the sooner that you can figure out what they're doing, the faster that you can join them in their game and win with them instead of losing against them. That, that makes sense, right? Exactly. That's the biggest key is you like, Anybody, I don't care how much money you have. You, you can either have, you know, five thousand bucks, five hundred bucks, twenty-five thousand bucks, a hundred thousand bucks. No matter if you have three million bucks, you're not going to have as much money as these guys have to be able to do the jobs that they need to do. You're never going to be able to, if a company decides to start diluting, you're not going to have enough money to push up against it. Just, it's not. It's almost an impossible thing, and you're going to end up losing no matter which way you look at it. Same thing with them wanting to get that stock price up. If they decide and they pre-plan this, if they decide to short their own company with large amounts of shorts, what does a short become when they have to get out? They become a buyer. So there's a thing called a bid support and they will actually short their own company so they can create their own bid support with shorts so they can step it up to create their own short squeeze, which one then will create volume to just skyrocket. I would last Two weeks, I saw one company do that where they were able to do like 4 million shares traded in less than five minutes. Wow. It, it's in, can I, it's can I just, did you just say companies will short their own stock? So the, the, the company that they own will bet that they will fail in, in an ultimate manipulation just to bid it up. Just to yeah, bid but, it up and squeeze everyone else who's also short. So, the, so they'll the, make money on the way down and the wheel. Basically, yeah, the so, money on the way down and on the wheel. Exactly. So, like the private placement companies who are, who are responsible for um, getting the money to these companies, in part of their contracts that they'll sign, they'll say they'll sit there and say, "We will do bid support to be able to," and it's legal, one hundred percent legal. Uh, the SEC sanctions it. Um, so what they'll do is they'll they'll allow them to short their own stock to create bid support, and you can Google it. Not Google it, but Control F, find it on Bamset bid support. If a company has that in their contracts, they can actually literally do it. But uh, Chris, let's step back, step back, step back. So, because basically you've got this reverse split theory, right? And but we, we need to explain to the audience how the ecosystem works, how these publicly tradable companies who are hemorrhaging and losing money on a monthly basis, why they're using the reverse split, and and how they're getting money from it. Because I think a lot of people don't realize how this process works, if the reverse split and then the dilution and the reverse split and the dilution. So if you can explain that, it's going to help a lot of people. So let's, let's think of it in, in the two parts of so the tools. So one thing is remember is these tools that I'm talking about. It's not just for small companies. They're also for big companies. Let's say for an, like an Amazon or an Apple, Apple util, will utilize a forward split, whereas a company performing really low will use a reverse. split. And then sometimes you'll find companies who are doing really well, who have a $50 stock and they will do a reverse split uh, on their own because they, they have certain goals that they want to be able to achieve certain fundraising goals. They want to be able to achieve. <laughs> so I want everybody to realize how much these tools we talk about is across the board, across the whole market, big companies and small companies utilize this. 
So let's for an example, Apple, which Apple did, they did a forward split because their stock price was so high that they wanted to reduce the price of their stock so that the common person could buy shares of stock and invest in the company. That That's one way a company can be able to get more investors involved into the stock, which also includes they get more traded volume happening on the stock. The more traded volume, the, the easier it is to be able to do fundraising on your company. So let's say you're a bad, uh, a comp- not a bad, but you're a company who's struggling to be able to have interest inside your company. You're, you're building a widget or whatever that widget is, and you need to be able to raise money. So what you'll do is let's say your common shares outstanding is a hundred million. It's very difficult to get your price of your stock to go up when your common shares is like a hundred million. And also a lot of people will use the term float and there's details with that, but just in general terms, we'll just talk about common shares outstanding. So it's very hard for the stock to go up. It's kind of like when you're out of shape and you're trying to make, trying to run. It's very hard when you're overweight and you're trying to run to run fast. It's a very difficult process. So what you want to do is you want to cut the fat. If you work out consistently, you lose the fat over time, you become a better runner, right? But what these guys will do is they'll do a reverse split. They'll reduce the amount of common shares. And by reducing, it has a smaller supply uh, pool out there. And so when they do the reverse split and they put out a news, the stock can run up faster. When it runs up faster, they will get a recorded uh, snapshot of a price. And then they'll be able to utilize that price and apply it to SEC regulations. And then they will be able to go to a bank of some kind, like an HG Renoir, um, and they will sit there and say, hey, our price is this much. We have this much volume. What kind of money can you give us? And they will sit there and say, okay, well, based upon your volume, based upon your price, we'll be able to give you X amount of money. And then that's where dilution comes from. And then they'll sell the shares and they dilute it. Now, what they do when they sell shares is there's a treasury within the own company itself. In that treasury, they'll decide we're going to make 100 million shares available to whatever, employees, um, stock options, whatever it is to be out traded. They'll take that treasury and they'll hand it over to a certified company who is legally allowed to sell their shares. So when they do that, they sell the shares, they raise the funds and say, okay, we need $30 million for you guys. Here's your $30 million run your company, but we're going to take a percentage of that. And that's our fee for getting you money. And that's kind of how that all works. It's all about survival of company and how they can pay their bills. So if they're building a widget that has no sales, but they're in the development mode, they can actually do that by that process. Amazon if you look at their SEC filings from way back when, that's exactly what they did, and that's how they financed their company all these years. No, but but Amazon can do it really. Amazon can do it really easily because they've got so much volume. That like you've said it before, but like a walk and talk and ATM, they can just dilute little, 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 little in the volume so high every day that they can constantly raise money. It's fine. The trouble comes when you get these penny stocks who need the money even more, but they don't have the volume to dilute the ATMs. And that's when the sketchy kind of stuff happens. That's where the, the PRs kind of come out of it, right? Yeah. So what will happen is these companies will sit dormant for months, years. Uh, in the, uh, they'll sit dormant. That's all they do is they sit dormant. There's no volume. There's maybe like 10,000 shares traded, something along those lines. 
So what they want to do is they want to be able to get some type of news achievement. Like, for example, if I was on the Food Network and I'm going to put out a PR, hey, I got featured on the Food Network, everybody's going to speculate. They're going to jump in the stock and think my company's worth so much money. So that creates a volume. When that volume comes in, that gives the HG Renright the uh, capability to be able to sell the shares and, and be able to give me the money I need to operate my company. Which, which is fine, and to a degree, it's it's kind of it's kind of healthy, right? I mean, the bio, I mean, just to talk about some of the sectors that most commonly do this, it's the biotechs, and there's nothing too wrong with this. Biotechs need the coronavirus. Obviously, some of the coronavirus biotechs and pharmaceutical companies are questionable how much they're actually looking into the coronavirus and how much is true and how much is not true. But these companies need money from from investors to run the business. There's nothing too ethically wrong with that, but what I found kind of interesting is that these investors don't, when I was reading the Pipes book, which we're going to, it seems like these investors don't lose because they'll say, if we get with stuff up to this, then you can sell the warrants at this and you'll make lots of money. But if we somehow fail for whatever reason, we'll change the agreement. So we'll just, if we are failing as a company and the stock price drops, we'll just give you even more shares worth even less but that means the dilution becomes absolutely toxic and the shareholders just get washed to the floor. Yeah, and that's called ratchet dilution. So those keep on ratcheting it down. So <clears throat> there, there's clauses in all these different contracts that they will sit there and say guarantees that you're going to make X amount of money. There also is a guarantee that they'll do in the contract saying what what you, you agreed to, and if you give somebody else a better deal, we'll adjust your dilution amount and make it bigger so that you never lose. And those are clauses that they put inside the companies. And then it just becomes a downward spiral for the retail investor because all they're going to do is going to dilute it all. And the caveat for all that is they put into these filings saying, warning, you're going to be diluted on. And then they can get away with that type of stuff. And so it's that whole process. And and that's where a lot of these Retail traders, for example, let's go with XFA. You know, uh, 2019 is when I did my research. February 2019 is when I did all my research on XFA. It took them over over a year to finally get to the point where they had enough volume in the stock. And they've been having tons of volume these past couple weeks on the stock. They had all these systems set up in place. But when they had all this volume, they were able just to totally empty out all their financing that they actually needed to be able to run the company. And people but, don't so but so basically, the companies win because they do these agreements. The investors win because they can't lose. And who loses? Us. Yep. <laughs> Us. When you don't know what's going on, you don't know what side you're on, you lose. It's a lose, lose, lose. <laughs> Did not think that's funny? Why do 95% of traders lose? Probably because all of the rich people have all got this scheme going on. And, the, and it's just, a, it's basically... So just to summarize this up, a company's got 100 million shares outstanding, but it's got no money. Things in its stock price is at 10 cents. Things, well, what can I do? Oh, it's at, it's at uh, whatever. So sorry, I'll make this 100 million flow, 10 million flow, and I'll, and I'll do a, a 10 for one reverse split, and I'll make my stock price that's maybe $1, $10. And then they look, I look like a $10 company. I look quite serious. My flow's gone from 100 million to 10 million. I'm much more agile. I'm much more maneuverable. Look more legitimate, and I've maybe I've, I've uh, applied. I, I, I'm now in line with some of the Nasdaq's um, rule book, and then it thinks, all right, but that still hasn't solved the problem that I, I need money because I need money 
to, to make a business from. So then somehow there's some sort of plan where all of a sudden the company's got some better than expected news. The stock price goes on this run. God knows who's helping it. We don't know. The others, the mysterious others. And then all of a sudden the stock price gets really high on a lot of volume and think, oh, hang on a sec, we've just made a deal with these investors um, and we're going to sell a ton of shares and raise a load of money. And then the float is now big again, which it goes from 10 million, then they've sold 20 million shares or whatever. Floats now up to 30 million and think, ah, we can just do that reverse split the next time we need cash. Yep. So in essence, that's it. The next question I've got for you is how do we stop being losers? How do we capitalize on it? Because you're the man who knows the answer and, and nobody else knows. <laughs> so how do we beat them up? Some people do. Ospex knows. Tim Gratani oh, yeah. knows. You know. The top, the top traders know. But Roll those. Yeah. Roll so, knows. Hoodie knows. Yeah. But yeah. Go on. All the top traders know this. Uh, Nate and Investors Underground knows this. You know, all the top traders know the cycle of stocks and how it works. And they also know when they see a stock and they pull up the chart, they can be able to sit there and say, they're so far along on this cycle that it's not even worth me trying to take it along. Whereas they're so new in the cycle, it's definitely worthwhile for me to take it along. So these are the type of things that you have to do. Um, you have to understand where they are inside the cycle. And the, and the only way to be able to truly understand that is you're going to have to do a ton of research and you're going to have to do read a lot of books because none of this was truly taught in, in, at all like people hint about it they'll tweet about it but nobody truly understands like the details of the whole process and so what, what's the reason that you just said you know you're gonna have to read a lot of books and you're gonna have to really study this what how come how come we can't learn that pattern just by looking at it a bunch of times because you got to learn, you got to understand what's really going on inside of it. Because there's a lot of nuances that, that are happening on the contracts and on the deals that these guys are making. Over time, once you are able to put the SEC filings to the chart, and once you understand what type of financial tools or financial products that these guys are actually utilizing, then you'll be able to look at the chart and go, that's what they're using there. That's what they did there. You know, okay. and it just it takes a lot of time, but you don't know how to apply that on the chart until you know the tools or the products, financial products that they're actually utilizing on the chart. Yeah. That's where the reason comes it's from. It's like the engine of the motor. Like you can't you can't know what car is gonna win the race unless you know what the engine is up to, how well it's been taken care of, how yeah. at the end of its life it might be. So you're exactly. looking underneath the hood of what that process is. And then it's interesting. I call it looking underneath the hood. Uh, when I sit, when somebody talks to me about the stock, I'm like, okay, now that we've looked at the charts, let's look underneath the hood. And looking at the hood is opening up the SEC filings. And when you look up under the hood, you're like, ooh, that motor's trash. It's not going to win. Yeah. You know, yeah. or you look and open up the SEC filings, you're going, like, holy moly, that motor's brand new. It's spanking, and this goes going to kick everybody's ass. Yeah. So I just saw Ford versus Ferrari. So this is where oh. my metaphor is coming from. And I, and I was fascinated because there were just so many moving parts or pieces that had to do with that run and that race that you would never think should have anything to do with a car race. And yet all those little secret things happening behind the scenes had such a big impact on, you know, even just that door that wouldn't close for him in the beginning, like that, who would have thought to check the door? They're all looking under the hood. You know, it's like, I don't know. I just, I just could see that that seemed applicable to all that I'm trying to learn here. 
So yeah, and, and it is, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's like small little details of the things that are going to trip you up with this type of stuff. And by not, not even being aware, like this whole conversation makes people aware of there is more to this than what meets the eye. It's not just technical analysis, even though technical analysis, it's like, it's kind of like layers. You, 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 you get done scanning the stock market and you see your stocks, right? You see the volume coming in and there's a pattern uh, developing. But until you look underneath the hood, you don't know how that pattern is going to actually end up in the results of it. Once you, once you look inside under the hood, you can be able to sit there and say, okay, I think the stock can actually be able to run. So then and now it's time to start looking at patterns, all the technical analysis that's happening on the stock. Once you understand the patterns that you're looking for, then you can be able to take the meat of whatever move that you're at. Whereas if you look at the under the hood and you see all the volume coming in, you're like, man, this stock is just loaded and the motor is just, just trash. This thing's going to drop so hard. It's going to drop like a rock. Either A, you can sit there and say, I'm going to short this stock if you can find shares of short. Or B, you can sit there and say, you know, it's just not even worth me trying to take long name, not even worth trying to take 20% because I'm just going to get destroyed going long on it. And if I can't find shares of short on it, that's a pass. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, these are the type of things you kind of kind of got to look at when you're analyzing that. And it's a lot of people think that they don't have time to do this type of thing first thing in the morning. Reality is, if you're rushing to try to get into the stock at exactly at open, most likely you're going to get hosed anyways. So just take the time, do the research, let the, yeah. the pattern develop, wait the first 30 minutes. It's a lot of time to look into SEC filings, especially if you wake up early enough to look into SEC filings. Then you can be able to sit there and say, okay, it's, it's gapping down, but I think it's going to be able to catch, it's going to rip, and it's going to take all the shorts out. You know, those are the type of decisions you can make when you're informed of what you're really looking at. You know, you spoke earlier about having uh, struggled with the learning disability. I'm so grateful to you that you're, you be willing to say that out loud, uh, because I think part of what people hold, you know, part of what holds people back from letting them even begin to consider trading is they don't think they're smart enough. And, you know, even myself, uh, I've had hesitation because I'm like, oh, I have to read everything first. Um, I have to understand everything completely first. So what would you say to people who are thinking about trading that are watching this sort of very new in their journey, who, who may have learning disabilities, who may have other kind of hindrances. Maybe they didn't do well in school. Maybe they've struggled with other challenges in their life. What, what do you think they need to ask themselves before they make the decision to do this? Where, where could they stop themselves and where is it appropriate to stop yourself? So let me kind of reverse a little bit back and give you a little bit more of the history of, of, of my mental development. Yeah. Um, when I was young, when everybody went to recess, I was the kid stuck inside the classroom and we're just trying to learn how to read uh, type of thing. Um, I remember crying quite a bit, being so frustrated, not being able to do stuff uh, with, with education and be able to do like basic, simple math. Um, you know, my mom thankfully also uh, got her degree in education and she became like a tutor for me and her thing was on arts considering she was a belly dancer and she was able to really work with me on it. But, you know, as your parent, you also kind of, you were, you fall backwards to it. And, you know, a lot of self pity uh, type of stuff was in my head. And, you know, even to this day, I have a little bit of self pity for myself of how come this is not right or how come that's not right. And I, and I kind of beat myself up, up in my head and one of the things I have to remember is that you've come a long way 
you know, just the ask the fact that people were looking for me for SEC filings and looking for me for my knowledge kind of reaffirms that, you know, I'm not stupid and I'm not dumb. It's just I have to learn in a different way um, and to be able to go about um, about this. And, you know, there's, there's one thing about this path of stock trading. There's no right way to go about doing it. There's really no wrong way to go about doing it. As long as you are consistently uh, trying and it almost feels like you're banging your head against the ball over and over and over again. And then that's what makes you want to look for answers to be able to do this because you want it so bad. You kind of like look at your life and you're like, man, if, if I only had more money, this would have been easier. Or if like in my situation, if I had more money, I could buy that right baking equipment that would be able to take me over the top. You know, yep. it's, it's those type of things that say, well, only if I had, only if I had, only if I had. The answer is you do have, you do have it all. It's just that you don't know how to go about finding it. And that's where like the research type of stuff comes through. So, you know, when I, when I got done with high school and I got into college, I didn't want to be labeled as that special ed kid anymore. And so I jumped into college and tried to do uh, reading and writing and math. And I just kept on failing. Like I got to the point where this counselor was saying, well, this college may not be good for you. And, and you may need to do something else. And so I finally decided, all right, I'm going to pull out my, my, uh, my, uh, I'm not sure what to call it at the moment, my crutch. I'm going to pull out my crutch. So I went down to the local school and I said, Hey, can I get my file of what I deal with in my head? And so they said, sure, you can, you're old enough now. We'll release it to you. So when they handed me the file, I shit you not, it was probably about that thick. Wow. Wow. evaluations and challenges that I've had and how the different ways they had to go with me. And then I sent, took it over to my university and handed it to them and said, look, this is what I'm dealing with. And so then I was able to get special considerations to be able to actually get my college degree. Like a couple classes were just written off because I just would never be able to pass them. Just, wow. It's just, just how my mind actually works. So they signed off on a couple of them and just gave me say, okay, you got, you got close to the grade. There you go. Yeah. So, it's, that's a hard pill to kind of swallow. Um, but, uh, but I can't help but notice that how your mind works was also smart enough to say to yourself, let me go back and get my original file and use that now to give myself the leverage I need to make up for those little holes. I mean, that I would, I would take that kind of mind over the other kind of mind every day of the week and twice on Sundays, because that means you're thinking for yourself. That means you're thinking out of the box. That means you're finding a way to be, uh, navigate whatever the challenges are that you have. And that to me is what's going to be the defining difference between the people who are the sheep and the people who are the leaders. Right. And and that's basically what it comes down to. You have to always have the problem solved and you have to take whatever advantage that you possibly can and take that advantage, you know, and, there's a couple of things that with like uh, stock trading and, and, and owning a restaurant that has in common. The one, it's kind of a joke. You want to become a millionaire, open up a restaurant and become a trader. Start out with 2 million. Money is not the answer. Wow. You know, there's so many successful, so many restaurants that people think are success, successful that have um, uh, groups behind them. that are pulling money from the market who can pay the $20,000 a month retail space for them to have that million dollar restaurant that looks absolutely exquisite and beautiful. Nobody knows that. Yeah. It'd be pretty and, and glitz from it. And then they go broke. Yeah. So you got to be able to realize that money is not the answer to all the problems that's, that's, that you're going to be facing. 
it's going to be your hard work, your determination, and your and your problem solving skills to actually solve the problem that's ahead of you. If your end goal is to become a successful trader and make a hundred thousand dollars a year or more, then you have to figure out, okay, what are all my challenges in between that place? As much as it is about the money, it's not the money. It's about you and and what you're willing to go through to be able to get to that point. Because there's been some times with this this process. I've literally broken down and cried saying, why am I not getting this? Like, what is, what is wrong with me not getting it? And you're like, you're seeing everybody else get it. You're everybody else running these big old giant numbers and making a ton of money. And they seem like they're getting it so effortlessly. In reality, nobody's getting it effortlessly. Everybody's just putting in the work and they have to put it in the way that they work. So what's the mental strength I'm hearing is one of the things that has to be something a new trader or beginner trader has to realize they're going to have to develop. So what has helped you develop your mental strength uh, and or that fortitude? So there's a book uh, written that's called You Can't Hurt Me by David Doggins. Um, it's, an, it's, a, it's an amazing book about becoming your own hero. And um, you got to have to realize that everybody's having problems. And, and especially a lot of men need to realize that you've got to start becoming in touch with your emotions. You got to realize that that's an okay feeling. That sinking feeling is having your gut. That's an okay feeling. You also got to realize that high that you're having, that's an, that's an, that's another feeling. And you got to be able to understand what these feelings are telling you because you're actually the conduit to your own trading. If you're having a sinking feeling, guess what? There's like a thousand other traders who are having a sinking feeling. And how do they relieve that sinking feeling? They remove the pain or they remove whatever they're going through. So you have to really do become in touch with your emotions and what your emotions are telling you because your emotions are going to tell you first before your logical brain takes over. And there was a book called um, by Brett Steenberger, which I actually have on the side here. And I am not a reader and you know why I'm not a reader is because I had a lot of educational challenges with that. But once I got fed up with what I was doing emotionally and I had to seek out help. And the funny thing is, when you're a performance-driven person, it's going to be hard to find a therapist or somebody who can under, actually understand that. It, it takes a special person to be able to coach you when you're performance-driven. So there's nothing really wrong with you. you. You're upset because you're not performing at the high level that you think you should be performing. Your own expectations hurt you more than what really is happening. So the book I have is The Psychology of Trading by Brett Steenberger. As you can see, I have marked it up. And it and tell you what, I am the slowest reader. And it took me probably about two months to get through this whole book. But I got through it. And, um, you know, it, it gave me the tools to be able to deal with my emotions that I'm dealing with. And then you can find, like, a life coach that's in your life or you can find a psychologist to help you with giving you more tools in your toolbox. But you got to realize these are tools that you actually need. And the, and the more comfortable you become with trading, the more confident you become in trading over time, a lot of these emotions that you're dealing with are going to dissipate because then you're going to be feeling, you're going to feel okay with it. You're going to feel okay with a loss because it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You're going to feel okay with a big win because everything came together. It's the consistency and it's the process of just going a daily, daily, daily of this thing and remembering that not one trade is going to make you and not one trade is going to break you. Can I, yep. can I just say what you think about this? Um, there's a famous quote in the market from the market that, uh, the market always gives you what you want. So if you go into the market with a terrible mood thinking, F this, the market will say F you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But if you go in thinking, I really want to trade discipline today and I really want to get me practices right to make money over the longer term, 
you, you, you will make the money over the longer term and you will eventually get the, the, the practices right. But um, you've talked a lot about looking under the hood and, and the SEC failings, but my problem is all of these companies have got bad SEC failings. All of these penny stocks have got bad SEC failings. So how do you distinguish bad from terrible? Okay, so the original thesis behind my whole idea, because there's a lot of short sellers that actually use the reverse split to be able to hammer stocks down, right? And so, and most of the time they're going to be right. But here's the problem is some of these stocks run and they run hard and they run big and they're going to blow your whole entire account out. And a lot of the largest losses that a lot of short sellers have are on reverse splits because they think they're so junk that they don't understand that the stock has to go up before it can come down. Right. They think it's overextended, but there's always more overextended, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> dries, uh, CHK, um, we'll be, we'll be, let's use those as two examples because they both got up into the 80-plus range of their stock. You know, if you're going to be shorting junk companies and you think that that's all they're going to do is just go straight down, you're you're hosing yourself on your own success. So my original thesis and why it took so long for me to build out my thesis was – what stock has the chance of getting up to $80 from five bucks in three days? You know? And so you have to look at the characteristics of these companies and what, which one has a possibility of getting to $80. And so what I did is I went back through 10, early to 2010 on reverse splits and I collected all the reverse splits and I put them in an Excel sheet. And then I looked at all the different charts on all these different reverse split companies, and I was able to piecemeal together what is the common thread that makes some of these companies just go insane and, and super high. And it really comes down to a multiple of things. Uh, low float, low amount of common shares. Um, the type of news they're giving out and, and how beaten down the stock was previously that people think so bad of it that now the stock just rips everybody's faces off. So there's, and then like the type of news that comes with it um, that, that can be able to really lift up a stock and make it be able to run. So just because you think the company is just junk, doesn't mean it's totally junk. There's certain things. And, the, and one thing I, I want to do with here is not give away the secret because the secret is doing the work and going through the Excel sheets and going through the different charts and looking at the different charts. That's the real secret. The real secret is you taking the time, going through the SEC filings, and finding the common thread. It's actually what can take a stock from $5 to 80 bucks. Not all stocks are going to do that. You're going to find out over time that it's actually a very difficult thing to be able to find. But once you find it, you find that kind of secret sauce. It really, it's really pretty amazing type of thing. That secret sauce is just you going through and collecting all that information and seeing how this all ties in together. Would you, people are going to go on, I'll let you jump in. Yeah. Would you, would you, what does your day look like? Like how long are you in the market every day? What time do you get up? Just give us a sense of like what the day-to-day looks like. So remember the biggest thing is I do own a bakery. And so it's a, it, and it's a very major portion of my life. Um, I have three absolute amazing bakers that took me years to develop and teach. And so I don't have to be there in the morning anymore to be the baker to bake everything, right? And so I'm able to be at the market from morning to, to close if I want to uh, on majority of the days. 
but also has a thing is I have to, as soon as the market closes, I have to go and then I have to work at my bakery till nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wow. You know, I'm in this cycle right now, especially with COVID that's going on right now. I have to make sure my company survives. And, you know, yeah. thank God I actually took this project on back in 2016 because I, when the PPP loans were coming out and yeah. everybody was trying to freak out, nobody had money to pay anybody and restaurants are just closing down left, right. Cause nobody can go out. Yep. And luckily enough, I didn't make enough money to be able to sustain my business. I was able to make on a weekly basis, trading $10,000 a week just to be able to pay my payroll. So I, wow. it, the funny thing is I've made so much of the money in the market, but yet I'm still broke because I've taken, I have one passion over here and another passion over here. I took in all this money I made and I paid my people. I paid my employees. They yeah. got a paycheck. They were able wow. to guarantee the paycheck. Well done. Well done. You know? and, that, and that's that's kind of like the heart of who I am. Is my my team means everything to me. I'm not going to yeah. fire anyone. My team's been with me. Like some of my employees have been with me ten years. There's wow. no way I can sit and say, "Gooses, I'm all about me." Yeah. Not when they've been about the bakery and their life and why they love the company so much for so many years. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's beautiful. Yeah. So for me to be able to do that and, and move all my profits over there to be able to take care of the stuff and then, you know, and then dealing with that time frame. And by the way, with the PPP loan forbids me taking any money from that time frame and get paid back for it. If I do that, I, I have to pay the whole damn loan. There's no way I'm going to pay that whole damn loan. Crazy, crazy, right? crazy. So, you know, that that portion of my life for that to be able to happen worked out very, very well to be able to get to the point. So what is my life like? I'm hustling every single day. I'm, I'm figuring out new ways and processes to save my company to keep, yeah. make sure that we're going to be around for the next 10 years. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm getting up early. I do the market. Then after I do the market, I go to my bakery and I work on the bakery and then I repeat the cycle. There's no days off for me. I'm working seven days a week. And I'm giving my all to absolutely everything because through stock trading and through the bakery, I will come out ahead down the road. And then right now, the most important thing for me right now is my next six months. These next mm-hmm. six months find the rest of my life down the road. And mm-hmm. this is the only thing I can be able to do is grind it out, work hard every single day and keep on reading. You know, like here's mm-hmm. one of the other books I just got, um, Mike Billifor, the playbook, you know, I'm, you know, I need to keep on refining my trading stuff. You know, I should have never got caught in that uh, CHK uh, short squeeze. should have never got caught in it. I was either too tired, uh, it, my mind not ran the market. And I remember waking up, just kind of like stumbling the market, watching it all uh, sh- uh, dropping down. And I took the short where I should have yeah. never took the short. Out, you know? It's These inspiring. Are- You're inspiring, Tango. You really are inspiring. Just the hard work and the dedication. I mean, I really hear like, there's just a certain level of commitment that you have that I don't know that most people have. And it, it, it encourages me to, to develop even more of that and to lean into that for sure. It, it's it's but, definitely a lifestyle. Stock trading is a lifestyle. You know, yeah. like I know so yeah. many of these successful traders, they're going on family vacations and looking at their phone and they're like, oh, I got yeah. my seat all all of the best all of the best guys like i was just i was just i was just um on a different interview like just in a half an hour before this and um and we we're chatting and and i was talking to the woman she was like who, who do you know who made it when you started and i didn't know you at the time 
I said, everyone, because you know when you first start and you make lots of friends and you connect with all the other noobs because we're all noobs together. Yeah. I was like, none of, she was like, who do you know that made it? And I was like, no one. I don't know anyone who made it. Don't know a single person who started when I started who made it. I know a lot of people who failed and I know a couple of people who are still failing, but not many. And she was like, well, what's the difference? And I was like, because the people that I know who made it are bad, bad ass, determined mother focus. <laughs> like these guys have, and girls have insane, relentless drive in whatever crap they do. And they'll, they'll just work 14 hours a day and not care. They'll do it because that's all they want to do. That's all. It's not all they know, but it's all they want to do. They just want to work relentlessly to be, because there's a human need to, to achieve something or to be different or to be extraordinary. I, I don't know what it is. It, and you know, I'm, sometimes like this kind of reverse to like uh, the times I was on the food network type of things. And those experiences like that to me was the pinnacle of being successful and featured on the food network. Mm-hmm. Those are accolades that kind of go along with it. You're driven, you're hard, you get it and you put the feather on the cap. And when you realize that that truly doesn't mean complete success, you know, it's a combination of how you define success and where you can be at success. A lot of these really, really good traders, it's no, it, once it's no longer about, at first it's about the money, but then it becomes not longer about the money. It becomes the, the constant drive to improve yourself and be able to keep on honing the craft that you're doing and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit longer, higher, a little bit bigger. You know, you push to make the $120,000 a day trade. You push a little bit further. Like some of these bigger guys, they're making $600,000 in one day. But it takes little steps. And, you know, once you have a million or two million, you just kind of keep on going and you keep on pushing and you kind of keep on thriving for that. And they, these guys, more money than they need, boom, you know, type of thing. It's just it's the constant looking at to improving yourself. But I, I remember Tim Grittoni taking like half a million on some Bitcoin trade last year. I vaguely remember him taking half a million on some swing. And he's just like, ah, half a million. Did, did a good job today. You know what I mean? I took 500,000 today. I really think I've stepped up again. But his thought is, I hope I can do that a few more times and maybe I'll get that million trade. That's what he's thinking. Yep. Okay. It's just a different mindset. But but just going, going back, can you give any kind of clue? And, and I know you've got, you've, got, you've got hours and hours and hours and hours of guidance uh, that's out there and people will have to contact you for it. We're going to ask people how they can contact you for yeah, it. Yeah, how can, how can they? You'll, you'll tell us. Okay, good. So, um, so looking at what Auspex Research did, he put his information out in the market and it's, it's readily available for anybody who wants to do the work put the work in. You don't have to contact the guy. You don't have to bug the guy. You don't have to see, but he put the work out there to be able to do it. So um, when I originally set out to do this project, I actually was talking to Roland. So it was really neat to be able to talk to Roland at the time that we talked, because we literally bought the same book at the exact same time, which is the Pips book. We were on that same journey. And um, I was like, he's like, you know, you got a lot of good information in there. And I was like, thank you. I really appreciate it. I really like your DVD and, and stuff. And he's like, you know, I, why don't you do something? I was like, really? I was like, yeah. He goes, so he gave me the, the kind of like the go ahead, like, cause he saw something in that in me that made me say that he made thought that I should try something with it and putting it out. And also like a lot of people started searching me out and say, Hey, what's, I want more details of this type of thing. So the original thought process, I made the videos. It's sitting in Roland Wolf's, um, Wolfpack group, anybody who's in power a Rolling Wolf's Wolfpack group gets it automatically for free. It's part of it. It's not something he markets. It's not something he talks about. 
it's kind of like the secret sauce behind what goes on with the reverse splits. Um, I also set it up where if anybody who reads certain books and does the OSPEC stuff and creates an Excel sheet and, and doesn't have money, you know, there's so many people who don't have the financial resources to get it to the other side. If somebody willing to put that much time and effort to get to me and read and to watch my videos, I'll give it to you for free. You know, these lot of people are, are, are broke, they're stuck in life, and they just can't be able to do it, but they're hungry enough that they want to be able to do it. Um, so I, I have that option for people who want to do it for free. The other person, other thing is too, is I set it up where you know, somebody wants to pay me like 699 bucks um, to, to get the videos first, because the end result, you're going to have to read the books anyways, the for all makes sense. But if you want to get the videos first, you can pay me 699, you can email it to me um, and be able to get access to it. It all kind of depends on where you're at financially, what resources you have. And it's in one sense, it's really good to get all those videos first because then it gives you the whole entire concept to it. But the end result, you're still going to have to read the Pips book. You're still going to have to read shorts, uh, sold short. You're still going to have to read uh, dark pools for it all to make sense because it's multiple things that come together that make this ecosystem actually work. Um, you're going to have to read the uh, SEC rules. You know, you got to find out what all these different rules are um, to be able to get it. And it's hard. Like the SEC book is massive and there's so many different versions of depending on what kind of company you are. If you're an emergency growth company, different rules apply for you. If you're a foreign company, different rules apply to you. If you're worth X amount of money, different rules apply for you. If you're worth more than 75 million, then you don't have to worry about baby shelf rules anymore. So then you can do like full financing. If you're less than 75 million, then you're going to have to do some work to be able to get the financing up there and get your price up to get that snapshot to be worth more than 75 million. Mm -hmm. It all really depends on That's it. Funny. And then like, if you want to watch the videos first to be able to get, Oh, here's the whole concept. Here's where I want to spend my time at my next steps. And so be it. I mean, that's kind of what me and Steven Johnson did over the past. How long, how many weeks have we been working together? Like four or five weeks now? Um, probably about four or five weeks. Yeah. I yeah. had to eat breaks. I had a good week off where I could really study. And I mean, and even for me, I've gone through the stuff and I'm like, I'm starting to piece it together, but it's almost like, it's like technical analysis is 50%. Fundamental side is 50%. I'm really strong. I'm really quite strong on technical analysis. Like I get it. Um, yeah. but then I'm like 2% good on fundamental analysis and I'm like, shit, I've got like another 48% to go. So, so Stephen, can we maybe bring it home? I have uh, I have a hard stop in about 10 minutes. So do you want to ask any last questions of Tango? I would like to say um, just like you've, you've kind of already answered it, but everyone, everyone wants a quick fix for SEC filings. Like, oh, just tell us where the warrants are. Tell us where the shares are standing off. Just tell us which filing to look at and so. I've come to realize it's kind of not that, it's not that straightforward. Eh? The bottom line is you've got to read a lot of different books. You can, you can go, it, it's, it's made easier. I've, I've, I've gone through your course and I think it, it makes it an easier introduction to what otherwise might be very difficult to understand. Um, it's an easy introduction and there's a lot of research and links so that you can be like, all right, I kind of know where I'm starting. I've got a platform and now I can go here, here and here and I'm, like, like you just said, you can do the course and you can read the books. Um, but, I mean, how long does it take to get this shit if I studied for two, three hours a day? Which you have to study for two, three hours a day. But how long would you say it takes to get it? Uh, say if the, the work that you've required them to watch the videos, to read the books, to, to go to aspects, 
how long if we do like three hours a day, how long is it going to take? Well, it took me almost three years to put it all together and that whole process. Of, and I, and it was a lot of long hours to be able to do it. So if you try to do it all on your own and, you, and you're trying to piece this all together, it's going to take you years to finally get it all done, to piece it together into a format that you'll be able to do. So um, I've had students, for example, Allie, who's Fit Girl Trades, and she's took this information. She really ran with it where she now has uh, her own video series that deals with really nuances and details of SEC filings and how it all really works together. She took that uh, completely serious and she probably put it all together in about six months, but she wow. was super dedicated. Um, there's other students who are working kind of through the process who, who've been working with me for the past year and a half. Um, it all depends on how driven you are to be able to figure it all out and to do it. I mean, it's kind of like a fire hose of information, but it's very focused information to be able to get to that point. Um, you can really cut it down to sometimes maybe if you are really experienced, maybe three months mm -hmm. to be able to kind of really understand. But the biggest thing is trying to grasp, it's turning your brain around to what the market really is and to grasp what they're really trying to do. It's not what they, what people talk about in the public of how the, the in general public of how they talk about how they evaluate companies. We're evaluating companies on the capability of raising funds. That's what we're really doing. And what you're seeing is the chart reflecting of how they're raising funds and how everybody's involved in that whole ecosystem to be able to do it. So it really kind of depends on how much free time you have and how much time you really want to put to it. So, and it's also going to uh, uh, go to like how your brain works. Like you may be a tactile person to learning. You got to really learn, understand how your own brain learns because you have to be self-driven to learn any of this type of stuff. So it's really going to depend on how your brain works, how it all comes together and which way you can go about doing that. That's so awesome. it's awesome. different timeline, but because of how focused I'm pointing you to the right books, I'm pointing you to the right sections in the, in the SEC filings. I'm pointing you to the right people to look at and I'm pointing you to the right mentors like Roland, like Huddy, uh, Tim Gratani is really taking advantage of it. Um, you know, Nate talks about it all the time and all his twits. That's all in, in cloud of it, but it's, it's there and everybody knows about it. It's just how focused I'm giving this all to you into one kind of really neat package. And it took me months to put those videos together. I think, I think the time frame from the time I started from the first video to the mid video, cause I'm not completed yet, uh, was about eight months. It takes wow. time. It takes time to what's rattling in my head to pull all out and put it in a format that people can be able to understand it. Yeah, for sure. Not, uh, and all the books, all the books you're talking about and the uh, different traders that you're pointing people to, you'll, the, the ones that Stephen maybe doesn't know, or if there's any titles here, you'll give them all to us so we can share those in the notes of the podcast. Yeah. So okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all the books that I've read. Terrific. Books that are really specific to your verse list, but everything that's framed in my mind, I'm going to include that. All the DVDs that have framed in my mind, I'm going to include that with it. Beautiful. Um, so that will help. That will give people more of a focused point on which way to go. And then the stuff I'm giving you is not just about SEC filings, but also yeah. technical analysis and everything that goes along with it. But the, it, when you first jump into this, this world is so vast and so big, you don't know which way to go. You don't know what to buy. You don't know any, any direction to go with it. So it's multiple teachers, multiple mentors, not one mentor that framed in my mind, um, but it's the way that you go about doing it and just being consistently 
stepping to the next step. Beautiful. Tanko, thank you so much. This is an amazing conversation. I learned so much today. Uh, Stephen, do you want to close us out? This um, amazing uh, conversation. Yeah, Tango and I, thank you so much. And obviously, thank you so much for taking the time to help me enter the world. Um, I know all of the greatest trailers generally always started in technical. And then when they really took off and, and got to the next level, a lot of the reasons why was because of the fundamentals. So thank you for helping me in the journey for it. Um, and I'm grateful for you opening up to the audience so everyone can learn who's listening the, the, the weight of how seriously they should take fundamentals and also the value that comes with it, providing you're willing to put some serious, serious, serious work in. Thank you guys for joining us today on Steady Trade. Uh, and we're going to call you Tango, but Christopher Morales, thank you for coming today. It was an you're amazing, welcome. amazing conversation. Thank you for having me. Okay, guys, we'll see you soon. That concludes this episode of the Steady Trade Podcast. And as usual, if you have any questions, concerns, or recommendations for us, please check us out at steadytrade.com, where we actually post transcripts of the episode and recap blog posts of the episode. It's a great resource if you're looking to expand your trading and get a more immersive experience from the Steady Trade Podcast.